Okay, thank you very much. That we played at the very beginning of the service was Luke chapter 22, and um, I thought we'd watch that to try to get our minds in the right frame to understand uh, what we celebrate on Good Friday, uh, the death of our Lord Jesus. Um, but to really understand that, we're going to jump back a little bit earlier in the book of Luke and have a Bible reading from Luke chapter 9. So I'm going to invite Joan to come and bring that to us. I'm going to read from the NIV, but before I do, um, Les has bought some of these news for today, um, Gospel in Contemporary English uh, by Luke, and they're in the foyer. So if there's anyone here that would like a copy of that today, please feel free to take one from the foyer there. You're very welcome to it. Um, Peter's Confession of Christ, verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. May the Lord add his blessing to that reading. Thank you. So, as we come to look at that, would you pray with me? Loving Father, we thank you so much for your word, that it speaks to us and that it can connect us to these real things that happened in our history and these things that happened to such immense benefit for us, that we might, through Jesus, know you. And I pray that we'd know you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're really going to focus on God's forgiveness this morning. Uh, Later we'll hear from Luke chapter 23. And one of the remarkable things Jesus says as he looks out on the crowd of people is he says, Father, forgive them. I really want us to think about forgiveness this morning. When I was about 10 years old, I think I was about 10 years old, um, I decided that it would be a good time to try my hand at golf and so one day when my mum my mum was actually away at a funeral and I was at home with dad dad was looking after us and I we owned the block of land directly behind our house so we had a house block a house our backyard and then we had this backyard that went right through to the next street and there was a bit of a mound of dirt up there so I snuck into the shed and I grabbed out a seven iron a tee and a golf ball and I took it all the way up the other end of our block and set this ball up on the tee. I don't think I'd ever swung a golf club. And I stood, set it all up, stood back, swung the club back, swung through and hit this ball as clean as any ball I've ever hit since. And I watched it fly up into the sky and I was just amazed that I'd managed to hit this ball first go at all. And I was amazed that I'd hit it as far as I had. But then I was really, really scared when it went bang, crash into our kitchen window. And it wasn't just the kitchen window, it was the kitchen window on the brand new extension that Dad had just put on the house. 
And my dad ran out. He thought that uh, some kind of ex- can had exploded. That's what he said. There was, he thought that it, there was an explosion. He was inside the house and he ran out to see what had happened. Well, I think it was lucky that mum was away because I think dad was as worried about covering up his lack of um, supervision as I was my mistake. But that went completely forgiven and dad had ordered a new window and replaced it and fixed it before mum even got home. I think that's right. Dad forgave me for my stupidity and I was old enough to know that that probably wasn't a good idea. But in forgiving me, it just didn't automatically fix the window. He still had to go out and fork out a couple hundred bucks to buy that new window and then to put it back in there. When we have these days like Good Friday, they're pretty familiar days. And this church, we're committed to Jesus. We're committed to knowing Jesus and we speak of his death on the cross often. We speak of his forgiveness often. But I just want to look deeply into it today. When we think about Jesus forgiving us, it raises some questions. What authority does Jesus have to actually forgive us? See, Dad could forgive me because it was his house. He could forgive me because I'd done the, you know, damage to the thing that he'd built. It was his house. It was his place to forgive us. How is it that Jesus can forgive us on God's behalf? And secondly, what is the cost of forgiveness? We we often think, oh, forgiveness is a free gift, and it is. God's forgiveness to us is a free gift, but it's not free to God. It doesn't cost me anything, but it costs God everything. It didn't cost me anything to fix up that window in our house. Dad paid for it. But what price does God pay to actually give us forgiveness? And once we understand all that, what does it mean for God to forgive us? So that's why even on Good Friday, we're going to look at this section earlier in Luke's Gospel. And this is a story that Luke records that takes place between Jesus and the disciples long before they're in Jerusalem. And he's facing the real prospect of the cross. And the context of this story is important. We're in chapter 9, and at the start of chapter 9, in verse 1, Jesus had just been out and preaching and teaching and healing and he'd basically been among the people. And so what's happened at this point is Jesus has um, has attracted so, so many people that there's this huge crowd of people following him. And that's why when, uh, at the start of this reading, Jesus asked the question, he, he asked the disciples, who do the crowds say I am? These were people that had kind of caught on to... The, the word about Jesus, they'd caught on to the hype. And so Jesus was asking them, well, who do these people say that I am? Now, you might be here because it's Good Friday. You might not regularly come to church. And you might think it's a good good day to come to church. Good Friday, that's a Christian thing. I'll, I'll check out church today. In fact, you might regularly come to church, but it's just because it's something that your family does. You come as part of this crowd with your family and friends. Well, I want us to look at what, how this little interaction happens. Who do the crowds say I am? Now, the, the disciples come up with three answers, and they're all actually quite similar. The disciples say, well, some people are saying you're John the Baptist. 
Others are saying you're Elijah or others are saying you're just one of the other prophets. And what all of those people have in common, the prophets, John the Baptist, Elijah, is they were all people that called people back to God. They said to people, come back, turn back and follow God. John called people to the Jordan River and offered them a baptism where they'd turn away from their sinful life. Elijah called on Israel to turn away from worshipping other gods and to turn back to the true God. And I think that's what the crowd assumed Jesus was doing as well. They were attracted to him, they believed him, but they didn't really understand him. I think they assumed that his message was simply to turn away from sin. But right out, right here, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, actually is on to who he is. It says he is God's Messiah. See, the thing about Jesus is he doesn't merely call us back to God. He definitely does do that, but he does so with an offer of forgiveness. There's a Messiah who will forgive them. Now, my Bible uses the word Messiah. Jones' Bible said Christ. They're the same word. You might be more familiar with the word Christ, but it's not Jesus' surname, and we've got to remember that. It's actually his title, the way that I might call a doctor, doctor so-and-so, or miss, or madam, or ma'am, or whatever. To call Jesus the Messiah is to actually identify who he is. And what it means is the anointed king, the anointed king. That means that he's God's representative. So if we're trying to work out how he can forgive sin, it's because God's given him the authority to do so. It's a bit like if you ever have to manage your banking or maybe your Centrelink in your family and you do it on behalf of the other person. I do this. I'm the one that gets lumped with the 60, 70-minute wait times whenever we need to ring up Centrelink. And I get on there and I'm actually calling about Tara's account and they'll let me speak on her behalf because she's given authority for me to do that. Or when I call up about a home loan or anything like that. God in anointing Jesus, has given him the authority to speak on his behalf. But not only that, the Messiah is the one that God sends to rescue. It's not just that he's anointed. It's not just that he's um, put in as the representative. He's actually sent as the king. God has given Jesus the task of rescuing us from the consequence of our sin. See, it's one thing to forgive and wipe a debt clean, but ultimately someone has to pay that debt. To be the anointed king, to be the Messiah, to be the Christ, like Peter's worked out here, it means that Jesus comes as a rescuer. He comes to rescue. We often think of our queen as a figurehead, and that's about all she is. She's on our coins and one of our notes, the five bucks or something, and that's about as much as we think she's worth as well. We think of her just as this figurehead. Or we think of our Tasmanian... Well, some of you think higher of that than that. That's all right. I I have no opinion. But we think of uh, Princess Mary of Denmark, who's actually of Hobart, isn't she? Or somewhere down there. And we think of her, well, she looks good on the cover of a Woman's Weekly. But that's so far from what a king is actually... About The real role of the king is to deliver the people. 
to rescue them. Jesus is God's king. So he alone has authority to rescue and to forgive. You see, the crowd thought of Jesus as another prophet, another John the Baptist. They thought his call was to turn away from sin and to live better. But Jesus is far more than that. He actually lives better for us. He takes our sin for us. Immediately after Peter works out who Jesus is, we read this. Let's look back at 21 and 22. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. He must be killed, and on the third day he be raised to life. Jesus says that because he is God's Messiah... Because he's this promised rescuer, he has to die. Jesus says four things, that he's going to suffer, that he's going to be rejected, that he's going to be killed, and that he's also going to be raised. If you think about how humans have rebelled against God, what is it that you think we actually deserve for that? In rebelling against God... What you actually do is you reject your creator. In rejecting your creator, you actually reject the one who gave you life. In a way, in a very real way, we reject life. And it's actually a choice of death. There's a famous verse in Romans that says, The wages of our sin is death. Rejecting God results in death. And yet Jesus talks about himself dying. Why would Jesus die? He's no rebel. He's the anointed king that's come from God. It makes no sense. He doesn't deserve death. Why would he die? He dies because that's the cost of our sin, of my sin, of your sin. It's the price that we owe and that we should pay. But by dying, he can rescue us from that punishment. He can rescue us from that death. He can deliver us from that death. What I really hoped for us this morning, that I prayed for us and for myself, is that this Good Friday we'd be people that would reflect on this and and, and be filled with a sense of gratitude. And so we're going to watch another one of those videos like at the start of the service. And through it is Luke chapter 23 being read to us. And I want to challenge you to watch it, to listen to it, and think about Jesus' authority to forgive, the cost of that forgiveness, and what it actually means to you. So let's watch. As they led him away, they seized a man named Simon from Cyrene, who was coming in from the country. They laid the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. Now a great crowd of people followed him, including women who were mourning and wailing for him. Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep over me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren women and the wombs that have borne no children, and the breasts that have never nursed. At that time they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, 
cover us. For if this is what they do when the tree is green, what will happen when it is withered? Two others who were criminals were also led out with him to be executed. And when they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on Jesus' right, the other on his left. And the soldiers divided his clothing by placing bets, and the people stood by watching. The leaders even made fun of him, saying, He rescued others. Let him rescue himself if he really is God's Christ, his chosen one. The soldiers also ridiculed him, coming up and offering him bitter wine. They said, If you really are the king of the Jews, rescue yourself. There was a placard above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there was abusing Jesus, saying, Aren't you supposed to be the Christ? Rescue yourself and us. But the other criminal responded with a rebuke, Have you no fear of God? After all, you are under the same death sentence. Yet here we are justly. We are receiving what we deserve for our actions, but he has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. By this time it was already about midday, but darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon because the sun stopped shining. The curtain of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. With these words he breathed his last breath. When the centurion saw what happened, he honored and praised God, saying, This man was truly the righteous one. When the crowd that had gathered for this spectacle saw these things, they beat their chests and returned to their homes. But all Jesus' acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph who was a member. Crucifixion is one of the most painful ways to die. It's not only painful, but it's humiliating. You're hung up naked and helpless in front of a crowd. You're left to suffer there and to die. I just want to pick up that one thing again from this story. It's chapter 23, verse 34, where Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. When Jesus earlier said, love your enemies, he's no hypocrite, is he? Hanging, looking at the people who put him on the cross, he prays for their forgiveness. Jesus here shows how he wants to and is willing to forgive even the worst of society, those who are cruel, those who mock God. He wants to rescue them. And that's us. Every decision we make where we rebel against God, that's us. And yet when we say that God loves us and wants to forgive us, this is where we see how true it is, how real it is. Like my dad paid the price and completely forgave me, 
so much more. God pays the ultimate price by having his son, Jesus, die in our place so that we know him as our loving father, as our forgiving saviour. As familiar as this may be to us, I pray that we'd see this anew. I pray that this Good Friday, the depth of God's great love for us would be real in our minds and in our hearts. I pray that we'd come to him on this Good Friday and this whole Easter weekend, like we have in the past, with our backs to our sinfulness and holding on to the forgiveness that this cross of Jesus gives to us. Let's pray together. Loving Father, Lord, we just reflect and think on our lives and the life of Jesus. Lord, our sinfulness and the and the the, the goodness of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus. Lord, our reluctance to humbly come to you, but his willingness to come to us. And I pray that we would be people this morning that come to you humbly acknowledging our need for you and willing to accept accept what you've done for us. Father, I pray that you might give us hearts that forever long for and hold on to the love and forgiveness that Jesus has shown to us. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to finish the service with two songs. The first we're actually going to just watch and listen to, um, and then we'll sing one together. Thanks, Michael. See?